you know, there is something about a statement that you will never forget. We can think about significant statements made by Dr. King on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial in which he declared, I have a dream. We can think of statements like the one with the New England accent, JFK, as he stands on those Capitol steps and he declares, ask not what your country can do for you. We can remember statements like that of Al Michaels in 1980 in Lake Placid as the United States defeats the Soviet Union in hockey. He asks the question, do you believe in miracles? These are statements made at significant moments in time that we never forget. Well, at the end of Matthew 28, Jesus makes a statement that those who heard it would never forget it. Let me show you. Grab your Bible and turn with me to Matthew 28. As you're turning there, you guys will notice we have four chairs up on the platform with me this morning. Um, at the end of the 1045 service today, we're going to be ordaining four men to become deacons in our faith family. So grateful for our deacon body and how they serve us. It's be a wonderful time to pray over them, to wash their feet, and to set them apart for deacon ministry. In Matthew 27, we see where Jesus has been arrested. He has been taken to Pilate and where he stands to give an account for his life. According to custom, the governor would allow the, uh, at each festival, the, the governor would allow for a prisoner or a criminal to be set free for the people. Pilate gives the people two options, Jesus or Barabbas. The people cried out, give us Barabbas. He then asks the question, well, what do I do with Jesus? The crowd responds, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. Jesus is then taken back where he is whipped, scourged, and beaten. He would then be led up onto Golgotha's hill at Mount Calvary where Jesus would be crucified upon a cross. It is there that he gave his life and he died in our place where he gives his life for the sins of the world. There he was taken from the cross and laid into a tomb. The entrance sealed with a stone, guarded by soldiers. And there he laid. But on the third day, Matthew 28, Jesus is raised from the dead. The angel declares to the women, he is not here, for he is risen. And as the women leave the tomb, they run into Jesus, who tells them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to leave for Galilee, and they will see me there. So in Matthew 28, 16, the 11 disciples head to Galilee to the mountain Jesus told them to go to. And it's there on that mountain that Jesus said these words that the disciples would never forget. Matthew 28, beginning with verse 16. The 11 disciples traveled to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshiped, but some doubted. Jesus came near and said to them, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. 
Now that Jesus' earthly ministry was complete, he has modeled the gospel with his life. He has accomplished the gospel through his death and resurrection. He is days away from ascending back up into heaven to sit down at the right hand of God the Father. He now gives the great commission as the task for his followers to accomplish. So Kenneth, what is the task? What is the task that Jesus gave his followers to accomplish until his return? I want you to see these truths right here in the text. The first one is this. We must submit to Jesus's authority. Notice what Jesus says in verse 18. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. The prophet Daniel prophesied of a coming son of man who would one day come and give this exact commission. Daniel 7, 14 says he was given dominion and glory and a kingdom so that those of every people, nation, and language should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will not be destroyed. You see, Jesus has been given all sovereign authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, he has the right, the privilege, the power, and the position to do what he says he will do. Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 20, He exercised this power in Christ by raising him from the dead and seating him at his right hand in the heavens, far above every ruler and authority, power and dominion, and every title given, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he subjected everything under his feet and appointed him as head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of the one who fills all things in every way. Paul goes on to say in Colossians chapter 2, verse 10, that Jesus is the head over every ruler and authority. Kings and presidents, dictators and emperors, royals and monarchs are under the sovereign rule and authority of Jesus. He is the one who is sovereign over all. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Jesus. So when Jesus gives the great commission, he does so with the authority to command us what we are to do. That means you and I do not have the freedom to do whatever it is we want to do. If you are a follower of Jesus, Jesus is your king. He has all authority to tell you and I what we are to do. He has every right to tell a church what they are to do. The church is his church. He is the head of the body. This is his faith family. And as king, we see in the Great Commission, Jesus telling us exactly what the task is for us to do. But there is a danger. We as believers and we as a church are tempted to make the church about something other than what Jesus commanded. Quite simply, to take the Great Commission lightly is to disobey Jesus. The church of Jesus Christ is always in danger of being distracted of why we exist. The reason Jesus gives the Great Commission as the preeminent task for the church is because it's through the preaching of the gospel, of the good news of a crucified and resurrected Jesus, that sinners can be forgiven. Sinners can be restored back into a right relationship with God through him. Yes, Hear me on this. We care for orphans. 
Yes, we speak up for mothers and for the unborn. Yes, we speak truth to culture and to government. Yes, we feed the hungry and care for the poor. But all of these must fall under the priority that Jesus has set for his church in Matthew 28. All ministries, programs, and initiatives exist underneath the big tent of the Great Commission. Because the reality is, even if we feed the hungry and care for orphans and protect mothers and the unborn, but we don't tell people about Jesus and his gospel, but we don't invite people to believe upon him, then we are just making people comfortable on their way to hell. God is glorified through hell-bound sinners like we used to be. And turning from sin, we trust in Christ, we believe the gospel, and he does that for anybody and everybody. If you're here today and you've never trusted in Jesus, if you're watching online, if you've never believed the gospel, then today trust in Christ, believe upon him. This is why the church exists, is the good news of the gospel, a place of proclamation of the good news of Jesus and what he came to do for us. And he gladly, willingly, joyfully goes to the cross and dies in your place so that you don't have to. He makes a way through his shed blood for you to be forgiven of all of your sin. And he proves that he is both Lord, King, Messiah, and Christ, for on the third day he defeats death. So anybody who trusts in Jesus by faith, you too will defeat death. That's the promise of the gospel. This is what we rally around as a church. This is the priority. See, we carry this gospel, y'all. And this gospel is the medicine that can heal anybody and everybody who trusts in Jesus. Therefore, Jesus is given all authority and all power in heaven and on earth. Therefore, we submit to the task, which leads us to number two. We, to, we are to obey Jesus' command. Jesus is charging his disciples here in the text to an intentional and strategic pursuit of making disciples. So what does this look like? What does this specifically mean when he commands his people to obey the Great, great Commission? Well, what we see here in the text is Jesus is teaching us the what, the where, and the how of the task. Let's start with the what. Verse 19, what we do, go make disciples. In the original language, the word go and make disciples, they are an imperative. They're a command. Jesus is not giving suggestions. He's not giving proposals. He is making outright mandates for his disciples. This is, is not the only time that Jesus makes this command. In fact, we see it in all four Gospels and in the book of Acts. In Mark 16, 15, Jesus said, go into all of the world and preach the gospel to all of creation. In Luke 24, Jesus says, and the forgiveness of sins will be preached amongst all nations starting in Jerusalem. In John 20, 21, Jesus said, as the Father has sent me, so I also send you. In Acts chapter one, verse eight, he says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. This task of taking the gospel to the ends of the earth is the task that Jesus has given to his church. 
You see, followers of Jesus are a going people. And we make something. Better yet, we make someones. What do we make? We make disciples. So what is a disciple? I put this in your notes. A disciple is a fully devoted follower of Jesus. A disciple is all in on Jesus Christ. Jesus is Lord, he is king, he is sovereign, and he leads those who follow him. Now notice in the text that Jesus did not say go and make converts. Although being a disciple begins with conversion. Jesus does not say go and pray a prayer. Although being a disciple begins by calling on the name of the Lord. You see, Jesus commands us here to go and make disciples. But the challenge that you and I have, the challenge that we face in the mission field that God has called us to here in the South is that far too many people who live amongst us think they're believers when they're not. Cultural Christianity has so infected the South where people think, well, my grandma loves Jesus. I've been to church. I may have even been baptized. Therefore, I'm a Christian. There's no outward evidence of knowing Jesus. There's no fruit in their life, no love for Jesus, no love for neighbor, no hunger for the word, no longing to see people come to know Jesus. The danger that people have is thinking they're in Christ when they're not. Is there anything more tragic on the last day when you think you are being ushered into the new kingdom when you will not? It matters that we make sure we are crystal clear on what Jesus is saying here. He's not interested in a quick convert. He's interested in fully devoted followers. Those who are all in on following him. That's what a disciple is. Someone who says, my life is not about me anymore. I now submit to Jesus' lordship. He has the final say-so over my life, over my decisions, over my plans, over my purposes, over the desires of my heart. He is the one who now tells me what to do, not the other way around. We follow the leadership of Christ, and he is the one who dictates to his church, and he dictates to his disciples of who we are and what we are to become. Jesus is not interested in half hearted commitments. Either you're all in or you're not. And hear me on this. Jesus is worthy of being all in for. He's worthy of your best. He's worthy of your allegiance. He's worthy of being the center of your life, the center of your heart, the center of your decision making. Jesus is king and sovereign and Lord over all. How can we give him anything other than our best? He is worthy and he is the one who gives you life and breath. He's the one who, who made it so that you might have eternal life through him. Jesus is everything. And so the call to be a disciple says, Lord, I'm not going my way now. I'm going your way. You have the final say so. I do what you say. And I do so not because I have to, because I want to. I long to obey your commands. Your commands are not burdensome. They're a joy. Your precepts are sweeter than honey. Such good truth. So where do we go? This is what we do. We make disciples. We see where we go here in the text, verse 19. All nations. The gospel is not just for one language or one people group. Jesus did not die for just one nation. 
The gospel is not exclusive to one skin color. Christ died so that all people of all ethnicities, of all races, all languages might be saved through him. The gospel is to be preached. Disciples are to be made among all nations. This is the heartbeat of God, to see the world full of people who love and worship him. This is what we see God's original design in Genesis 1 and Genesis 2. Fill the earth subdue it, a world full of image bearers who love Jesus. We saw this a few weeks ago when we looked at Psalm 96, verse three, where the psalmist declares, declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous deeds among all people. This is the heartbeat of God to see every tribe and tongue and people and nation who come to follow Jesus, to be disciples who submit to and follow his lordship. This is what Jesus is setting before his church as the task we are to be about, seeing all nations follow Christ. Westwood, this is why we exist. We do not exist for ourselves. This church is not about you. This church is not about me. This church is about Jesus. He is why we gather. He is the head of the church. He is the one who sets the course for the church. He is the one who says that we are to be about his mission. And he makes it clear what his mission is and it's disciple making amongst all nations. And y'all, we got a mission field. Your children and your grandchildren, your neighbors and your coworkers your teammates, and people you rub shoulders with every day of your life. Right here, right now, God has strategically planted you in a place where you can leverage your influence, not for your name, but for his. Opportunities abound every day for you and I to fulfill the great commission right here where God has planted us. Now, maybe, there may be some in this room that God may be stirring your heart in which you need to pray, get your passport, and prepare. Because maybe you're gonna have a new address in the next few months or years because there is a strategic place God wants to place you to have the greatest impact for his glory. And this is his plan, to fill the world with disciples. So we see in the text what we do. We go make disciples. We see where we're supposed to do it, all nations. But I also want you to see, thirdly, right here in the text, how we are to do it. How do we do this, Kenneth? Well, notice here, Jesus in the text gives us two components for how to make a disciple. The first is we lead people to Christ. It's evangelism. Verse 19, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. The connection here is that after someone comes to faith in Christ, they're baptized. Now listen, baptism does not save you. Baptism shows that you have been saved. Baptism is the New Testament mark that you are a disciple. Now, if you're here this morning, if you're watching online and you've given your life to Christ, but you've never been baptized, that's your next step of obedience. Say, Lord, I'm gonna obey your commands and I'm following you. I now am gonna do what you've commanded me to do. And he says right here in the text, to be baptized. Okay, the word baptized there, it means to immerse. It means to be dunked, to go underwater completely. That water does not rescue you, 
Jesus rescues you. That water pictures the rescue that Jesus has already accomplished through his gospel. But you see, part of the role, the task that God has given to us as believers is to fulfill the great commission is we play a role in leading people to Christ. One of the initiatives I'm praying for our church this year is what does it look like for all of us as a faith family to be intentionally sharing the gospel right where God has planted us? intentionally sharing the gospel. You see, if you wanna see your teammates and coworkers, your friends and your family and your children to come to Christ, you've got to open your mouth and talk about Jesus. You share the gospel with the people around you. You tell them the good news of Jesus and then invite them to believe. They decide whether or not they're going to believe. I wish I could just make it happen. As a parent, I long to see my children follow Jesus, but we can't force that. Only God can change their heart. We are responsible for communicating the message. God is the one who saves. What if this year you said, God, I'm here and I wanna share the gospel with people whom you have planted right in my life, children and grandchildren, neighbors and coworkers, friends and family, teammates, and even amongst the nations, God, would you use my life to declare your glory among the nations and our neighbors? So we invite people to trust in Christ. But hear me, disciple-making does not stop there. What we see Jesus doing here is that we not only lead people to Christ, but number two, we teach people to obey Christ. Look at the text, verse 20. Teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. You see, evangelism and discipleship hold hands. They're two sides of the same coin. They go together. Yet when we teach, we don't teach our ideas. We don't teach our politics. We don't teach our opinions. We teach the scriptures. We let the Bible be the text from which we teach the truths about Christ so that people might obey Christ. You see, Jesus commands us here in the text, teach them to observe. That word also means to obey all that I have commanded you. So what we have received, we go and teach others. And then they go, they go and teach others. And then they go and teach others. Then they go and teach others. That's the heartbeat of Matthew 28. It's a multiplication that you pour into others who they go and pour into others and it continues until the end of the age. Now, here's the deal. When we teach, we don't just teach for the sake of Bible knowledge. Effective Bible teaching informs the mind, it feeds the soul, and it compels obedience. Now, hear me. Though, yes and amen, we are to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But you see, knowledge must always lead to action. Learning the Bible is good, yes. Learning the Bible is right, amen. But if it does not compel you towards obedience, you're not fulfilling the Great Commission. Jesus says, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. What does James 1 tell us? Do not be hearers only, but be doers of the word. So we go, we make disciples of all nations, leading people to Christ, teaching them to obey Christ, but we do so not in our strength, not in our wisdom, not through our charisma. We do so 
Because number three, we depend on Jesus' presence. Verse 20. I am with you always to the end of the age. Oh, what a promise. The promise that Jesus makes to you, beloved, I will be with you. I will never leave you. I will never divorce you. I will never back away from this relationship with you. I am with you to the very end. I'll be with you on the airplane. I'll be with you in this operating room. I'll be with you in the boardroom. I'll be with you in your bedroom. I'll be with you whatever you face in this life. In the cancer diagnosis, in the job loss, if you stare down the barrel of a gun, I will be with you even to the end of the age. It's a promise of Jesus that he is making here is his presence is permanent. I will be with you. You see, the one who has all authority in heaven and on earth is with you to the end. Oh, what a promise from Jesus to you. I'm gonna be with you. You don't have to be scared that you'll ever be alone. You may feel lonely, but you're never alone. I will be with you. It's a promise from Jesus to you. January 4th. 1981, a handful of believers gathered in the heart of Alabaster in hopes to plant a church. They prayed long and hard for that first Sunday, just hoping that 60 people would show up. That Sunday came, and 220 people showed up. At the end of the service, 118 people joined the church, and Westwood Baptist Church was born. 39 years ago, there was a small group of people who wanted to see the Great Commission take root right here in our community. And by God's grace, he has fulfilled it. Throughout the last 39 years, thousands of men, women, and children have come to faith in Jesus. I did the math this week. Over the past 15 years, we've had Westwood members in 20 different nations preaching the gospel and making disciples. God has been faithful. In fact, if you are a charter member at Westwood, I'd like to invite you to stand right where you are. Praise God. Thank you. Thank you. Because of your commitment, look what God has done. I've seen two of my children come to faith in Jesus because of this church. And I'm so grateful for God's faithfulness to Westwood. And what began 39 years ago, it is amazing to think about what God has done. And I've heard story after story of the sacrifices of so many 
when the church was on the brink of not being able to financially make it, people selling boats and possessions and sacrificially giving just so that we could stay afloat. And here we are today. In 2006, the church moved to this current location and worshiped for the very first time, and God has been so faithful. What I'd like to do now is take just a few moments, and I want to thank and celebrate and praise God for the answered prayers he's given to our church within the past year. Here's a brief small snapshots of it, but I want you to see what God has done. This past year, we had a budget of $3.25 million. By God's grace and your generosity, we raised over $3.367 million. God has been so kind, we outgave the budget by $117,000, making it the largest offering in Westwood history. Praise God. Praise God. Because of your generosity, we were able to take the overage of that and apply it towards our church debt. The next slide I want you to see is that in August of last year, we voted unanimously as a church to pursue a refinance of our church debt. Our interest rate at that point was at 7.16%, and at the time of us pursuing the refinance, the interest rate was gonna be at 5.48. From the time of our vote, to when the final closing took place, it was about three months, the interest rate dropped even more to 5.37, saving us hundreds of thousands of dollars in the interest rate drop. And so the overall savings of this refinance is $1.264 million over the life of the loan. Praise God. Praise God. next slide I want you to see is, by God's grace, in this past year, we had 156 people join our faith family. Praise God. For 2020, our budget this year, we increased it more. Why? Because we want to reach more people for Jesus. We want to continue to play offense with the gospel. We want to see the nations and our neighbors treasure Jesus above all things. And it's because of God's kindness and faithfulness towards us and the generosity of every single one of us, me included, all of us together sacrificially giving and investing that we've seen God be so kind to our faith family. But you see, Westwood, we're not a bank. We don't exist as one. Although we do want to leverage our financial resources for the Great Commission, we exist for the sake of the Great Commission. You see, Westwood exists to invest in people who will impact their world for Jesus. Where did we get this? These are not just words we grabbed out of thin air. We got this from right here in Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Westwood exists to invest in people, teaching, encouraging, challenging, pushing, admonishing, praying for, wanting to see one another grow in the gospel. It's discipleship. We want to see each other grow in in the image of Jesus, become more and more like him. But it not stop there. But those people whom we invest in, they in turn will go and impact their world for Jesus. Go and impact evangelism, taking this gospel that we have received and we go and we declare it amongst the nations and our neighbors. We wanna take what we have received and pass it on so that future generations might put their hope in God. 
This is what we do as disciple makers, is that we go and we invest in one another so that we might go and impact our world. For whose glory? For our name? No. For Westwood's name? No. We're not trying to build a brand. We do it for the name of Jesus, the name above all names. We do it for the glory of Christ Jesus. We do all that we do as a faith family for the fame of Jesus. That's why we exist, to make much of him. Jesus said in John chapter three, if I am lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. We want to see Jesus high and exalted, to see him draw all men to himself, to make Jesus big in our hearts, in our homes, in our church, so that people amongst all nations might know and treasure and follow him. And this is what we do. We do it all for the glory of King Jesus. Because when we get to the end of the book, when we get to the end of the Bible, we get to Revelation chapter 7, we see that the Great Commission will be fulfilled. There's coming a day when the task will be complete and the mission will be accomplished. It's a promise. It's going to happen. Since Jesus has promised that the Great Commission will be fulfilled, Christ followers are a part of a movement that cannot be stopped. We're on the winning team. This mission will be accomplished. There's coming a day in which all nations will gather around the throne and make much of King Jesus together. The question is, will you join Jesus on that task? Will your family join Jesus in this task? Westwood, are we together going to join Jesus on this great task? This is the primary focus of the church. This is why we exist. It's investing in people who will impact their world for Jesus. This is what we do together. And it's gonna take all of us, every single one of us together, serving, giving, praying, laboring alongside one another. Why? So that the gospel of Jesus Christ can go far and wide in and through us. John Piper said it so clearly. Go, send, or disobey. Tomorrow, you're going on a mission trip paid for by your company in which you are about to embark upon a mission field in which God has strategically and intentionally placed you so that you might impact your world for Jesus. And so this is what we do, brothers and sisters. Until the end of the age, we go into our workplaces, we go into our classrooms, we go on to, into the ball fields, we go into our retirement communities, and we make disciples. Maybe for some of us in this room, we need to go get our passport, we need to pray, and we need to prepare. Because God may be changing our location. So Kenneth, what's the task you're calling us to? It's the impact point, it's this. Commit your life to fulfilling the Great Commission with Westwood. Be all in. That's what I'm asking. This, is every, this mission is everything. This is why we exist. This is why we do what we do. This is what Jesus has commanded us to do. And so we go and we make disciples until that day in which he calls us home. Being all in. So I want to invite you, as we start this year of 2020, and you're marching forward with the confidence of the gospel, is that you be all in on this mission that Jesus has called all of us to. Because you know, 
we stand on the shoulders of those who've gone before us. Not just those who've gone before us over the past 39 years, but those who've gone before us over the past 2,000 years. And it's all because Jesus made a memorable statement. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Thank you.